Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. We're your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, we explore a different perspective on or experience of depression because it varies in form and severity, affecting us differently. Our guests share intimate details of their struggles, coping strategies, and recovery. We keep it real because the struggle is real. We keep it hopeful because there is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We're not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and know that talking about the illness reduces stigma and humanizes the experience, making it safer and easier to ask for needed support. You are far from alone. Today's podcast is sponsored with a Garrett Kelly Memorial Grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation in loving memory of Garrett and others who've struggled with depression. We are solely responsible for podcast content. Hi, Terry. Hello, Bridget. So an article published last week in Psychology Today titled, When Doctors Are at Risk for Suicide, reports that roughly half of U.S. physicians surveyed believe they have met the criteria for mental illness in the past but didn't seek treatment. The reason? Primarily stigma. Ah, there's that word again. I know. Stigma, defined as a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. There's still so much work to be done, Terry. Yeah, also known as, as discrimination, but yes. Research published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that stigma attached to mental illness is greater among medical trainees and physicians than in the general population. In fact, studies show that 50% of doctors are less likely to work with a colleague who has a history of depression or anxiety disorder, with 4 in 10 admitting to thinking less of such a colleague. Wow. Yeah. We found someone with a unique vantage point to discuss this reality from both sides. Dr. Weinstein, an acute care trauma surgeon who lives with depression and has been treated in a psychiatric hospital, a surgeon patient as he calls himself. So we first learned of today's guest in the New England Journal of Medicine. We're not going to pretend to be regular readers, but when a doctor writes a first-person essay called Out of the Straitjacket, it catches our attention. So we reached out. Will you start by just introducing yourself and telling me a bit about you, and particularly, is it Weinstein? Yeah, so Michael, Michael, I guess you want me to formally kind of say something here. Sure, go for it. <laughs> um, so it's it is Michael Weinstein um, um, in Philadelphia. Been in Philadelphia for a long time, and uh, I'm a physician. Um, I've been a surgeon for a long time. Um, actually, right now I'm kind of taking time uh, away and. Uh, working to figure out what's really next for me and what's going to be most meaningful and fulfilling uh, and support my uh, mental health as much as possible. In Dr. Weinstein's essay, he wrote that from the outside, he appeared to have it all, a surgeon with leadership promise, earning more than he'd ever expected, an amazing wife, two great kids. But in reality, he says he was just enduring life. He wrote, quote, I'd heard of burnout, but didn't really comprehend it. And though I had mental illness, I still saw it as a weakness, a personal fault. I remember early in my career hearing of a colleague who'd taken a leave of absence for a nervous breakdown. I joked about it, said he was weak. Now it's my turn. 
There are so many things I want to ask you. So if a doctor who's gone through medical school and had all the training can see mental illness when he experiences it as a personal failing, as a weakness, is this all, mm-hmm. I, I hate to use the word like indictment, but of the education you got? I mean, shouldn't doctors be coming out understanding mm-hmm. that this is a real illness and the symptoms of it and the, the, the triggers and the risk factors and then a little bit of empathy maybe, please? So there's a couple layers to this question. Yes, there were. That's because I rambled. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just uh, as I'm just trying to piece together. Um, you, you, didn't, <laughs> you didn't ramble at all. Um, one, there, there are some serious problems with medical education, with the practice of medicine, with our healthcare system. <laughs> um, and one evidence of that is, uh, you know, that. When people come to medical school and you look at rates of um, depression, they're pretty much on par with the general population. Within a couple years of medical school, especially when they get to their clinical years, when they start spending time in hospitals and with senior doctors, those rates start to increase. And then when they enter their training, their internship and residency, those rates increase further. Weinstein concludes there is clearly something about that process that needs to be changed in major ways. We had somewhat of a medical education revolution back, I think, oh, maybe even almost 100 years ago now. We need a major revolution <laughs> to change the way in which we're educating. And there are some positive changes, um, and there's definitely a focus on that now. But um, we need a lot. There's a lot more work to be done. The second part of my question addressed the need for the medical community to have understanding and empathy regarding mental illness. All of my colleagues probably would describe me as a compassionate and empathic physician. And I can extend that compassion and empathy to others quite well. Um, And in fact, you know, what a lot of folks are saying is that the people that are most empathic and most compassionate are probably at the highest risk of... um, of their having their own episodes of burnout and depression. Um, and many of us, I know I still do, right, find um, finding that self-compassion um, and that self-empathy challenging because it's in some ways, you know, whether it's part of medical education or not or whether it's part of anyone's upbringing, you know, you, you learn to want to care for others and want to be of service to others. Um, without necessarily thinking about how you're being of best service to yourself. So, I, you know, teaching that self-compassion, teaching self-awareness, um, to me, the practice of mindfulness really needs to be integrated from the very beginning of medical education um, or for anyone, really, who's going to be providing care to others, whose um, work is of service to others, as most of us really are. But uh, especially so in the, in the healthcare system, because you're, you're attending to other people's suffering on a routine basis. So one of the lines in your article, you said, colleagues were trying to help you, but you were unreceptive to their efforts. And then the very next line, you said, I was trying to get help in many ways, but nothing seemed to be working. <laughs> um yeah, I tried to rewrite that several times <laughs> as carefully as possible as well. Um, I think in some ways what I was trying to say between the lines perhaps is that I think people recognized that I was suffering and had no idea how to help. 
you know, I, I think, unfortunately, because because of well, a lot of different reasons, people don't necessarily know what to say, what to ask, how to listen, how to be supportive. Um, and in many ways, uh, I think many times our default is actually to be avoidant um, of these conversations, at least in my profession. And there's that other internal part of the equation. And then uh, in many ways, I wasn't particularly receptive, um, even for, you know, small gestures of help um, because I thought I wasn't worthy. Um, I thought I was not, uh, it was my issue, it was my failure, it was my problem and that I, um, I, in many ways, one of my many faults, <laughs> uh, is, is not wanting to ask for help is to, is to feeling like I can, I should be able to take care of all of this on my own. Um, uh, you know, uh, in many ways in my, in my workplace, my self-criticism comes out, how come I can't take care of all of this on my own? How come I can't, you know, change the culture of such and such of, you know, in my intensive care unit, how come I can't fix that on my own? And, so I, in some ways it was both, right? So it was it was that people don't necessarily know how to simply ask how people are doing and want to stop and listen and just honor someone else's suffering. Um, and you know, I, you know, there's a lot of different ways to potentially do that and and be helpful to another person. Simply asking what would be most helpful instead of maybe sometimes jumping to giving advice. Um, and, but there was another part of me that, that just really didn't want help. So I was in the next sentence, I was looking for help. Right. So I was trying to see different, I was seeing different, uh, therapists, psychiatrists. Um, I was reading different things to try and find, again, my, I, I can figure this out. I can find my own solutions, but nothing really, nothing was, nothing I could find was, was helping. Mm-hmm. If you were an accountant or an engineer or, you know, whatever, saying in my profession, people tend to be avoidant of these conversations. The fact that you're a doctor and you're talking about the medical profession kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Of all of the professions, I would want the medical profession to be least avoidant. Right. And, and, and. I, you know, I don't know, right? I don't really know other professions. I, I may certainly imagine, you know, much, much in our, especially in our Western society, uh, many people are avoiding about these conversations yeah. to begin with. Absolutely. And that's what we are here working to change, right? right. Um, you know, there, there may at times be folks who are better equipped in, in medicine to do this and to, and to, to, to help others. And, um, you know, I, I know in some ways I was one of those, right? So I was really good at helping mm-hmm. folks who were going through difficult times. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think especially in my world of surgery, but a lot of in, in, in for, for physicians especially, I think there's this notion that we need to be know-it-all, um, be, um, you know, strong and not susceptible to these types of things and um, that even asking another physician about that or checking in on another physician, how they're doing is like asking if they're weak, you know? Um, so, so it's, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of, 
you're right. You would you would hope that the, that physicians could treat each other as well as they treat their patients. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we all always treat our patients, you know, yeah. as best as we can either. But um, hmm. but uh, that, that's not the environment that I found. How about we say that? <laughs> So this episode focused on Dr. Weinstein as a surgeon. Next week, Michael tells the personal story of his experience with depression, including his doctor in control to patient losing control in a psychiatric hospital. I keep thinking of that Bible quote, Terry, of physician heal thyself, or that metaphor of, you know, put your oxygen mask on first. Mm-hmm. You know, we all need to take personal responsibility so that we can help others. It's just it's just this cycle that goes around and around. And I love that he's not only taking care of himself, but genuinely trying to start a discussion among and about the medical community. Because when you publish that article in the New England Journal of Medicine, that's what you're going to do. So I was yes. that's uh, impressive and brave and... I, I really enjoyed learning more about Dr. Weinstein, and uh, in next week's episode, you'll learn an awful lot more. I look forward to it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Dr. Weinstein, for joining us. Um, you know, we agree with you that sometimes the medical education, even from the outside, looks more like a frat hazing ritual than a, a reasoned approach and a caring way to train the people who we count on to care for us. So thank you for starting this discussion. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.